Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. Fuel duty, cut. Air passenger duty, cut. Alcohol duty, cut. The biggest cut to business rates in 30 years. Growth up, jobs up, wages up. Public finances back in a better place, more investment in infrastructure, innovation and skills, a pay rise for over 2 million people and a £2 billion tax cut for the lowest paid. This budget helps with the cost of living. This budget levels up to a higher wage, higher skill, higher productivity economy. This budget builds a stronger economy for the British people and I commend it to the House. In the long story of this parliament, never has a chancellor asked the British people to pay so much for so little. Time and again today, the chancellor compared the investments that he is making to the last decade. But who was in charge? Who was in charge in this last decade? There you are. We're releasing this week's podcast on Wednesday, a day earlier than usual, to bring you the latest from today's budget. For the first time since the pandemic, I'm joined by our regular experts, Jenny Ross and Gareth Shaw, in person for today's recording. We'll be discussing the big announcements that will affect your finances, including wage and pension increases, tax hikes, duties and property. Now being in the office, we've also been able to catch up with which money journalists for their reactions after the budget and as they pick the details in the big red book and we'll be hearing some of those later on. Plus it meant we could discuss the interesting pre-budget prep photos that were released this morning including the ones that really made the headlines of the Chancellor Rishi Sunak in socks and designer sliders. But we all know today is not about press photos and shortly after 12.30 Sunak took to his feet to deliver his plans for the economy. As we come out of the worst economic shock we've ever seen We've got a choice, to retrench or to invest. This government chooses to invest. To invest in our economic infrastructure, to invest in innovation, to invest in skills, to invest in a plan for growth that builds a stronger economy for the future. That's what this budget is about and that's what this government is about. Gareth, firstly, before we get into details, broadly speaking, what did you make of the autumn budget? Because it feels like since the pandemic, this is the first one to look to the future rather than the current crisis. Yeah, I think you're right, Lucia. It was more of a proactive than a reactive budget. I must say for personal finance gurus like us, 
it wasn't a blockbuster. There's mm. not a huge amount of meat in there for, you know, everyday people um, with quite radical changes. That That's not what this budget was about. It was an opportunity for the Chancellor to talk about how the UK is bouncing back from the pandemic and that he was going to make good use of the money that the the Treasury is generating now that we we have bounced back. But in comparison to the last few years, and obviously the last few budgets have been in really distressing circumstances, there's not been a huge amount for us to pick over. That said, we don't have um, nothing to discuss today. So can we start then with what might be this year's biggest financial announcement, which actually came out last month ahead of the budget, and that's the increase to national insurance and dividend tax rates to help fund the NHS and social care. Jenny, how much does this mean you'll pay from April 2022? I'm going to start with... um National insurance, first of all, Lucia, um, because that really does represent a seismic shift um, in in many senses, actually. Um, first of all, it's going to raise a huge amount of money. And as you say, that's to fund uh, the NHS and social care. It's £36 billion over three years is what the government is, is looking to raise here. It's also significant in that it marks the biggest rise in personal taxes for two decades. Um, and, uh, you know, subject to quite a lot of discussion at the time of the announcement, it represents a break in the manifesto pledge made by the Conservatives back in 2019 not to increase national insurance. Um, it is super significant because millions and millions of people will be paying more national insurance as of April 2022, um, whether you're employed or... Um, or self-employed. And the amount it's going to be hiked by is 1.25 percentage points. Now, I think the, 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 the most helpful way of expressing this is what that's going to mean for you in terms of uh, in terms of pounds and pence. So if you are earning £20,000 a year, you will be paying an extra £130 in national insurance. If you're earning 50 k uh, you'll be paying an extra £500 in national insurance. It's not small change. People will see mm. quite a noticeable difference in their pockets. Um, and I should, I should point out as well that quite a big difference that the government is introducing to the system is that... Um, um, people who are working beyond state pension age, which is currently 66, um, at the moment, they don't have to pay national insurance. But as a result of these changes, they will be paying that 1.25 percentage point levy to fund social care. Um, so, yeah, it's it's huge. And I think we'll be going into the detail of the, the changes that were announced today. But I think it is worth pointing out up front that the, the sort of magnitude of, of, of this amount announcement does, does and, and, you know, the, the, the reach of that impact does eclipse um what what the chancellor has announced today um the other the other change you mentioned was dividend tax that um is also being uh being hiked to to fund social care and the nhs the impact of that will be smaller purely because um smaller amounts of people have to pay it um so that's that's when you uh when you earn over a certain amount of um of dividends on uh, on your investments that will also be going up from april 2022 uh, an additional 1.25 percentage increase on that tax now there were also some big announcements for low earners we heard a rise to the national living wage for workers over 23 and the minimum wage for under 23s and this was paired with a change to universal credit though this won't benefit all claimants gareth can you talk us through it 
Yes, and this is a really interesting example of the Chancellor's uh, PR savviness. What he's done is a month away from the budget, got all the bad news out there so that in the budget he can focus on the good news. And to be fair, he got a bit of a rap over the knuckles for revealing too much Mm. before the budget actually came out. Let's start with the national living wage. That was announced on Monday. That's increasing from um, just under £9 to £9.50. That's a 6.6% increase. Now, compare that to the increase in the national living wage from last year. That was just 2.2%. So we've got a... uh, uh, It's triple the amount that it increased from last year, double the amount of inflation... And and what the national living wage helps, which, as you were saying earlier, is um, payable to people over the age of um, 23, uh, that helps you know, people on low incomes, low salary workers, the youngest, in the, the youngest people in the UK who have probably been hit hardest by the pandemic and the insecurity that um, COVID has caused to our economy. So that is a, a really... Um, good piece of news for people. And what you see with minimum wages all the way down the band. So the, the national minimum wage is paid to people aged 22 and under. There's an amount that's paid for um, workers under 18. There's an amount that's paid for apprentices. They're all getting a really chunky bump as well. That doesn't kick in until April the 1st next year. But the other change that the Chancellor announced, that is being accelerated and that's for people who are on really low incomes and claim benefits, namely universal credit. I've been a personal finance journalist for 15 years. I still scratch my head at universal credit. It's complicated to work out exactly how much you get and it's being kind of gradually rolled out. So not everybody gets universal credit. They sometimes get one of the six benefits that it's supposed to cover. The rollout will be complete by 2024. Um, but what's happening with these people? Well, if you're out of work, you get you can claim universal credit if you meet the criteria. If you start working, you can still keep some of your benefits, but they start to reduce the more you earn. So at the moment, for every pound that you earn from work, you see your universal credit benefits reduced by 63p. And at some point, you earn so much that you don't get any benefits at all. What the Chancellor announced today is that he is cutting the amount that your benefits are reduced by um, for every pound that you earn through work. So instead of having to lose 63p, you're now going to lose 55p, which basically means people get to keep more of their benefits. There's another change as well. Um, And this is to the working allowance. So there is an amount that you can earn before you start to see your benefits reduce. You only get that if you've got limited capacity to work or if you've got children. Um, And this working allowance is also going to be increased uh, by £500 across the year. And what's interesting here is that the Chancellor said that He doesn't want to delay when this gets introduced. It's normally introduced at the beginning of the tax year, so the 6th of April 2022. He is saying they're going to push to get this introduced no later than the 1st of December. So it's Mr Sunak's Christmas present to 1.9 million workers out there. And the government says this is the equivalent to a £2.2 billion tax cut. So Jenny's been talking about tax increases. And people who are claiming universal credit are still going to have to pay national insurance. They're still going to have to pay income tax if they earn more than the thresholds. 
Um, but they'll be able to keep more of their benefits because um, the taper, that's the technical term for it, is being reduced. Now, there will also be a pay rise for millions of public sector workers, which I'm sure will come as very welcome news for many after the recent pay freeze. Though, unlike the change to universal credit, which we just heard of, it won't come in until April next year. So it won't help the cost of living this winter. Jenny, will it be a real terms rise, as in higher than inflation, which Sunak predicted today will rise to 4%? That is the big question, Lucia. And I'm sure these millions of people who were affected by the pay freeze, which was introduced uh, last November, will be breathing a sigh of relief today. Um, We're talking 2.6 million teachers, police and civil servants. Um, NHS workers were exempted, as were those earning less than £24,000. So, hooray, there will um, be a pay increase, but how much it will increase by remains to be seen. And the context right now is really really, really important. We're facing a cost of living crisis, essentially. And that was acknowledged in the budget. You know, the the, the I word was mentioned right up front that, you know, as you say, could be facing a 4% average inflation rate next year, which which is huge, huge, especially um, compared with what what we've been used to recently. So um, a lot of people will be nervously waiting to to see confirmation of of what the pay increase will be. It basically all boils down to the um, the recommendation recommendations from independent pay review bodies. They set the pay for most of the frontline workers who are, um, who are who are affected. So time will tell. We are which. So moving on to pensions. Before the budget, the government also confirmed the state pension increase for 2022. Now we've covered the triple lock pension guarantee a lot on the podcast, but the increase next year has been reduced to what's being called a double lock. Gareth, what does this mean for the amount of pension you'll receive in 2022? And what's the reason behind the so-called double lock? We're going to talk a lot on this podcast about inflation. Jenny's mentioned it. I've mentioned it already. You've mentioned it. Mm. And we're going to be talking about the recovery. And when it comes to the state pension, those two things are completely interlinked with each other. So what is the triple lock made up of? It's made up of three potential measures that could increase your state pension. The first is a baseline of two and a half percent. The second is a measure of inflation usually taken in um, September. And the third is average earnings. Now, if the government had increased the state pension by average earnings because of the rapid recovery that we've seen post-COVID, it would have been absolutely enormous. We're talking 8% increase in state pensions. And the government does have to balance um, our affordability with the pledges that it's made. So what it said is, look, this increase in earnings is an absolute anomaly because we've reopened post-COVID and there has been a massive increase in earnings. So we're going to take that measure out and we'll stick it back in next year. That's what they say they'll do. Um, I mean, if it looks really unaffordable, there might be two years of, um, of a double lock. Who knows? So the state pension is going to increase by inflation. That doesn't mean it's not a significant number. Inflation in September was 3.1%. So what that means in real terms is the flat rate state pension, which people who um, reach state pension age after April 2016, um, they will get £185.15. Now, most people in reality get more or less than that because of their working history. But that is the flat rate, £185.15. 
Um, that is a £288 increase across a year. And that brings the state pension to £9,627.80 um, across a 12-month period. So it, it's not a bad amount of money to have. And so, yes, we've got a double lock, but it doesn't mean that the government hasn't been generous when uprating the state pension this year. Now, let's get on to the property market. And for this, I've been catching up with which property expert Stephen Maunder at his desk to find out more on what was said. Steve, the Chancellor made two house building pledges today. One of those uh, is to unlock more than a million new homes on what's called brownfield sites. So firstly, what are brownfield sites? And this sounds quite like something we've heard before. And it wasn't pulled off so what's different this time around yeah so first of all um this new initiative is very much um the government announcing some further investment in a uh scheme it had already previously announced and the idea is it's going to build lots of homes up to a million new homes on brownfield sites now brownfield sites is essentially just land that has previously been developed on so it might have been commercial land it might have been offices factories etc and quite simply it's easier to build on brownfield land than it is on green belt land which is largely protected now the government has you're, you're correct the government has uh, come up with schemes on brownfield land before most Famously, the Starter Homes Initiative, which was George Osborne's scheme back in 2014-15. Now, the idea of that scheme was to allow first-time buyers to buy homes on brownfield land at a reduced cost. And with changes of government, housing ministers, etc., it never quite come off. This is slightly different in that the government is really looking to make homes on these sites greener homes. So it's looking to build up to a million new homes that fit in with more sustainable principles. Whether or not it will be pulled off, I guess only time will tell. And Steve, what was said today on cladding? Because earlier this year, it was estimated by the Housing, Communities and Local Government Committee that it would cost £15 billion to remove all dangerous cladding. Has the government pledged enough? The government has today uh, basically confirmed a £5 billion fund towards remediating buildings with unsafe cladding. This isn't a brand new fund. It was originally announced back in February. So the new uh, information today is essentially how it will be paid for. Uh, the government had previously consulted on bringing in what it's calling a residential property developer tax, which will partly cover the £5 billion fund. And it's given some more details of how that will work. So from April next year, the tax will be charged at a rate of 4% uh, to developers on any profits over £25 million in a year. Now, the vast majority of medium and large developers in the country make profits significantly in excess of £25 million. So in theory, it could raise a decent amount of revenue. I think while this is obviously a welcome development, as you say, the, there remains the argument that it's kind of rehashing a policy that had already been announced rather than introducing further funding to help people affected. We are which.
Now, Jenny, can we talk about alcohol duties? Sunak described the new policy today as a radical simplification of alcohol duties, though it did feel like he spoke about it for a surprisingly long time. But it does include a lot of cuts to different alcohol duties. So, Jenny, will it mean lower prices? That all depends on your tipple of choice, really, this year, because um, the uh, the alcohol duty system is dependent on the type of alcohol that you are drinking. And you're right, he did spend, <laughs> he seemed to really lean into this section of, of, of the budget and enjoy regaling people with the history of um, alcohol duties. Interestingly, first introduced in 1643 to help pay for the Civil War. Um, but clearly it's an old, old system and one that's starting to creak. And I think he quite enjoyed the fact that this was arguably the, the only really interesting surprise of the budget, given all of the um, the announcements that had already been trailed. Um, so, yes, uh, Rishi Sunak delighted in telling everyone that it was the most radical simplification for over 140 years. And the tagline for the changes was simpler, fairer and healthier because the, um, the system will, well, first of all, it's going to be simplified from 15 different rates to just six. Um, but it's going to be aligned on the principle that the stronger the drink is, the the higher the tax. So if you like your fortified wine, you probably will face a bit of a, a bit of a price hike. But if you are a fan of sparkling wine or rose, then um, then you you probably will save a few pence on 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 a glass of wine there. Um, for um, for fans of a trusty old pint, um, this will represent a permanent cut in the cost of a pint of three pence, um, and the changes will kick in from February 2023. So yeah, Rishi Sunak has built it as a change that will um, be in the interests of pubs and public health because of that link to um, to the strength of of, of the drink. Um, but yes, you you could quite possibly save a few. pence pennies here and there at the pub. Now, also on duties, it was announced today the planned rise to fuel duty has been scrapped. This is good news with fuel at record highs, but with energy prices also rising, as we recently discussed on the podcast, Gareth, was anything else said to address gas and electricity bills? I'm fed up with the uh, bait and switch of fuel duty. It's like a famous comedian trotting out its uh, well-known catchphrase, a gig or something. Every chancellor does it. It's been like however many consecutive years I can remember. And the planned rise on fuel duty is cancelled and the house erupts, (laughs) even though we absolutely can guarantee that's going to happen every single budget. But to your main question, no, there was nothing in there about, um, you know, trying to support people through the increases in gas and electricity prices. I mean, the government, there was a rumour that the government would cut VAT on energy bills. It nixed that the day before the budget and said that that is not the right solution. Um and that there are other ways to, that people can get help on their energy bills um, if they're in fuel poverty or if they if they need it. So there's, there was also a comment during the speech, quite a long one, about, you know, the government can't rescue every single business, nor should it be expected to. And I, that feels particularly pertinent, given what we're experiencing at the moment it seems satisfied that there is going to be a reduction in competition in the energy market because, you know, there are lots of firms going bust and that is the natural order of a market and that's the way it should be. You know, the the ones that are 
well capitalized uh, will survive and those that um you know aren't and don't meet the criteria uh, and 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 you know find operating in a volatile energy market um, have to cease trading and the government's perfectly happy with that so yes we haven't seen we didn't hear anything new uh, to try and help people on this and with cop26 the international climate summit beginning in glasgow in just a few days jenny did the government introduce any green policies Hmm, I think it's fair to say that some people were expecting slash hoping for a little more on the green side in this in this budget. I mean, it should be said that in the build up to, to COP26, various other initiatives have um, have been um, put forward, including um, a grant to help incentivise people to install heat pumps and replace old boilers. The main um, uh, sort of green announcement that, that could impact your, your pocket that we should talk about is as is actually one that was trailed in the budget in March this year, which is the um, unveiling of the NS&I Green Bond, which is a savings product designed to raise money from savers across the UK that will then be used to fund environmentally friendly projects and to help the UK reach its net zero greenhouse gas emissions target by 2050. Um, we've been on tenterhooks for months and months and months um, as to what this product would actually look like, crucially what rate it would pay, because you know that's top of savers minds when they're looking to find a home for their money it was finally announced at the end of last week and i think damp and squib are the only two words that really spring to mind um it's a three-year savings product which requires you to lock your money away for the duration of that period in return for that you can expect uh-huh, 0.65 which that is 65p for every 100 pounds yeah. you invest in it Mm. And and I'm for even impressed. even more context is that you could get an easy access account paying the same rate. And if you were to lock up your money away for three years in another account, you could expect close to 2%. I think around 1.8% is the going rate at the moment. So competitive, this is not. It's it's a shame, really. It was it was a huge opportunity, and I think it suggests that there's a bit of a penalty for going green and that that's not necessarily the case you know there's plenty of evidence out there if you look at the investments world that actually you know green so-called ESG funds perform really quite well so you shouldn't have to accept that as a condition of making a responsible decision with your money um but that's that's what you know that's that's what we've got <laughs> that's what we've got um it's going to be uh, on offer for 3 months you can save between 100 pounds and 100,000 pounds but yeah you've got to go in with your eyes open and know that you could be doing a lot better elsewhere so after everything we've heard today is it possible to speculate on what's next first let's hear from which journalist Hannah Downs on online sales tax So Sunak didn't mention it in the speech, but it was included in the overall um, budget that was published online. Um, So the idea is that this new online sales tax or Amazon tax, as it's been dubbed, um, it it will kind of level out the playing field between um, high street retailers who have been hit really hard during the pandemic and online retailers who have obviously kind of benefited from a rise in online shopping during COVID. Um, so, yeah, there's been talk that it could be 2%, which could raise up to two, £2 billion pounds a year. And do you think it's likely to go ahead? Like, when will we know more? So the government's been talking about this online sales tax for a while now, and it's kind of getting mixed feedback from retailers and um, kind of retail organisations. 
Um, the truth is we won't really know if it's going ahead um, until this consultation is done. So we're probably looking at the spring budget before we know any kind of concrete plans. And who is going to pay the bill for this 2% tax? Is it likely that it could be passed on to consumers? So there is a chance that it could lead to increased online prices. If you're an online retailer and you've already got a, a thin margin, then y you might not be able to afford this tax and it might have to be passed on to consumers. Um, it is likely, though, that online retailers will want to keep prices competitive. But obviously, if you're a retailer that can't afford the 2%, then you will kind of be forced to reflect that in your prices. There's also some suggestion that it could lead to high street retailers increasing their costs too. Um, high street retailers are kind of limited um, to price rises at the moment because they have to compete with online prices, which are often cheaper. But if online prices rise, that means that high street retailers might consider raising their prices too. And finally, Gareth, there is, of course, the big question of when we could start to pay the huge bill left by the pandemic and the numerous COVID-19 support measures. Yeah, and it's coming, you know, winter is coming, as it were. Um, so, we, I mean, Jenny talks about the national insurance rise. That is revenue raising for the government. And then in the last budget, the Chancellor basically froze a whole load of tax allowances. Now, you might not think that that is a tax increase, but it is. It's a tax increase by stealth because as you earn more money, you're going to be tipped into um, higher tax brackets or you're not going to be able to keep as much of that before the tax man has its take. So, you know, the per personal tax free savings allowance that is frozen at £12,570 until 2026. Um, we've seen ISA allowances and junior ISA allowances frozen for consecutive years. We'll see capital gains tax allowances, inheritance tax allowances, some of the pensions allowances, they're all frozen. And, and and what happens is you earn more money or you save more money and you get caught into um, those taxes. So, you know, you will be paying more tax um, because these allowances have been frozen. And, and, and I think that is the way that the Chancellor can keep to its manifesto, his manifesto pledge of not increase, explicitly increasing taxes whilst generating more revenue um, through these kind of implied or stealth taxes. Thank you to Jenny and Gareth. It was great to be back in a room recording together. And thank you for tuning to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Now, just before you carry on with your day, if you could leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. More reviews mean more people will hear the show and its wealth of advice. And of course, you can also find us on social media at Witch Money and do head to witch.co.uk forward slash money for more coverage of today's budget. We'll be back next week with a special episode on Friday as we team up with the Witch Investigates podcast for a look at the safety and security of our digital cash, as well as taking a look into the future. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded and produced by Rob Lilly with additional support by Ian Aikman. Oh.